Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you simply for who you are. If you had not done anything for us except what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that is more than enough. And we just want to say thank you for who you are. It is a joy. It is a privilege to walk with you. And it is a joy and a privilege to be in your house this morning uh, with your body, worshiping you. I pray now, God, that you would quiet our hearts. I pray that you would turn them to you. I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears to see and to hear what it is that you have to teach us this morning. God, we ask that as we now spend some time studying your word, that this would not just be an um, engaging presentation about a book, but that this would be an encounter with the living God. We need you. We need you more than we need anything else. And so we ask that you would meet us in this moment. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would allow the truth of your gospel, the beauty of your gospel, the scandal of your gospel to be communicated clearly in this moment. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. We are lost without you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right, good morning again. We'll we'll take it. Uh, We're reading from one of the Gospels today. It's a Gospel called Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter, thank you. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 35. Mark 4, 35 through 41. It's the end of the chapter. Give you 10 seconds if you've got a paper Bible. Five seconds if you've got an app. This is what it says. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, that's Jesus, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm, a great calm, excuse me, He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was was a Tuesday afternoon. It was a cool, not cool, it was a cold, crisp, Midwestern Tuesday afternoon. It was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, my freshman year in college. I was finishing up my last class of the day, and I was getting into my 1991 Chevy Cavalier, baby blue, thank you, uh, to head home for Thanksgiving. And I couldn't wait. I hadn't been home since summer. And I was so excited to see my family, see my friends, to sleep in my own bed, to eat my mama's cooking. Uh, I got onto 294 in the suburbs of Chicago and headed south because I needed to get to I-80 
And once I hit I-80 south of Chicago, I took that all the way home to my uh, hometown in Northeast Ohio. Uh, as I was heading south on 294, uh, the sky, which was a little bit dark, got a little bit darker and then a little bit darker and a little bit darker. The sun was setting and it started to snow. And by the time I got to I-80, about 45 minutes later, uh, it was a full-on snowstorm. Uh, I didn't know any better. I was 18. I was like, I didn't, there were no, no cell phones, right? Cell phones were just becoming a thing. They had just made the transition from a black suitcase that you hid under the front seat of your car to the little handheld things that, that were the precursors to what we have now. So no iPhone, no nothing, no, way to, no weather app, no way to check it, what was going on. Uh, so I hit I-80, merged onto I-80, and there's a stretch of highway uh, in Gary, Indiana, the stretch of I-80, that at one time, uh, I don't know if it still is, but at one time was like 17 here. It was one of the most deadly stretches of highway in the entire country. What's weird about that is when you drive 17 to Santa Cruz, you can understand why it's a deadly stretch of highway, right? This circuitous mountain route, people drive like knuckleheads. Um, you can understand why it's dangerous. Uh, I-80 through Gary, Indiana is like pan flat, arrow straight. It's like five lanes in each direction. And it's like, what is the big deal with this stretch of road? It's just that it's so congested. There are a ton of accidents. And as I got to that stretch of highway, uh, I was driving in a full-on blizzard. Snow was blowing sideways, couldn't see more than one or two cars in front of me, uh, was really just trying to stay, couldn't see any lines on the road because it was accumulating. I was really just trying to stay in the lines of the tractor trailer in front of me that I was following. But whatever, no, you know, all good. I'm headed home for Thanksgiving. And as I hit that stretch of highway, my check engine light comes on. Again, I'm 18. I haven't been driving for that long. And I'm kind of like, I'm sure that's not a big deal. I, I, that's probably just a suggestion. I'll tell my dad about it when I get home tonight. A couple minutes later, my instrument panel starts to flicker. And I'm like, you know, please, God, this is not happening right now and in this place. And then the car starts to shudder. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are having a moment of PTSD right now. It's, it's the death shutter before a car involuntarily shuts itself down, right? And I'm like, this is actually happening. I, I, I'm not going to make it. And in that moment, I pull over to the side. I'm, 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 I'm coming out of, the, out of traffic, which is, you know, Thursday, Tuesday before Thanksgiving. It is jam-packed. It's going 10 miles an hour because of the snow. And I am pulling off to the side. I can't really see the shoulder. And I'm thinking to myself, is this how my life ends? my freshman year in college. I pull off as my car comes to a complete stop. It, it dies. And just so you know, one of my great fears in life, it's not snakes, it's not heights, it's breaking down in the middle of the road. I just, I, I don't want to have to deal with that. And as I pull off to the side of the road, snow blowing sideways, starting to accumulate, pitch black, can't see more than a couple of feet, not 10 feet in front of me is an Indiana State Trooper cruiser. Amen. Exactly. So I sit there in a state of shock for a few seconds, and, uh, and he gets out of his car, walks back to me through the snow, and I was thinking about this story as I was preparing the sermon, and I was like, I didn't open my door. I put down my window, but how did I put down my window if my car was shut off? And then I remembered I had to roll my window down. It didn't matter if the car was shut off. I know you all drive Teslas, and you just have to think about your windows going down, and they go down. This was not one of those cars. I just rolled the window down. And he was kind of annoyed. He was like, what, what are you doing? Why are you pulling off? What's the deal, man? And I think he could see the terror in my face because he softened really quick. And I was like, I don't know. My car just died. 
And he was like, all right, I got you, buddy. And he goes, listen, he had been helping another motorist who had just taken off. And he goes, uh, he goes I've been out here for several hours and I really need to use the bathroom. And he's like, so I'm going to go up to the next exit and use the bathroom and I'll be back for you. Just wait here. Don't go anywhere. And I was like, yeah, not, not going to go anywhere, man. I appreciate that. So, so I roll the window back up. He goes and he takes off. And I'm like, that's it. I'm saved. This is amazing. But then reality starts to set in. It's that I just met my Savior and he left. And I have no power in my car and I'm in a blizzard. And it starts to get colder and colder and colder to the point that I'm shivering uncontrollably. And it feels like hours. It wasn't hours, but it felt like hours. And, and just like the state trooper who had been out there for a few hours and he needed to use the restroom, I now by this point had been out there for a couple of hours and guess what I needed to do? I needed to use the restroom, but I had no car to get me there. And I got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And so I get out of my car. This, this serves the story. I know you're like, this, is, this, is, this serves the story. I get out of my car. And I can't go anywhere because the, the snow is now up to like almost my knees on the shoulder here of high I-80 in Gary, Indiana, but I can't hold it. And so I just stand there next to my car and I go while all of the, the, the whole Midwest is driving home for Thanksgiving past me. And you would not believe, you know, everyone on the coasts is like, oh, the people on the coast are so mean, but the people in the Midwest, they're so nice and kind. You would not believe how many truckers and motorists took the time to honk or roll down their window and ridicule me while I was in that moment of great embarrassment. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Get back in my car and still no trooper. And, 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 and panic is starting to set in. Fear is starting to set in because here I am alone. Uh, you know what it's like to be in a car that's not running in a blizzard? The snow starts to accumulate. And you feel like you're in this little cold ice cave. You can't see what's going on. I could hear the trucks. Every once in a while, I could tell that a, a, a plow, sorry, I've been in California for three years, a snow plow was going by and it would shoot a bunch more snow onto my car. And I'm like, I have no cell phone. It's, the, it's nighttime. I'm in the middle of a blizzard. I have no, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? See, what had happened is I found myself in a storm. And I, and I found my savior. And then he left. And one of the things that we try and do at Abundant Life in our preaching and our teaching is to paint as accurate a picture as we can of what it is like to follow Jesus. Part of why we do that, not part of why, exactly why we do that is because God's word paints a very accurate picture of what it is like to follow Jesus. And here's the deal. It is not all sunshine and rainbow and roses and, and sunny days and happiness. There are some difficult moments when you choose to follow Jesus with your life. And that little, that little experience I had in Gary, Indiana in the fall of 2000 is a lot like what our walk with Jesus feels like. Because for a lot of us, we come to a point in our lives where we're like, I'm in a mess. I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I need someone to do this for me. And then we find Jesus. Or more accurately, Jesus finds us. And we give our life to him and we're like, this is it. This is, this is the answer I've been looking for. This is, this is how my mess is going to be cleaned up. And then a little bit of time goes by or maybe a lot of time goes by and we find ourselves in a mess again. Maybe it's the same mess we had when we first started. Maybe it's a new mess. But we're walking into this mess and we're like, that's all right. I got Jesus with me. And we're like, hey, G Jesus, Jesus, I'm in a mess and now I need you and where are you? 
Because sometimes when we are walking with God, in the moments that we feel like we need him the most, he is silent. And so today I want to preach from the topic of what about when God goes silent? What do we do when God goes silent? I thought about calling it uh, when God is asleep at the wheel, but I don't think that he was the one driving the boat that night on the, on the Sea of Galilee. What do we do when it feels like God has gone silent? We're continuing our series here in the Gospel of Mark called Let's Go. And today we come to one of the great stories of the Bible. Uh, the Bible's full of great stories. Um, but this is one of those stories, this is near the top of my list of I wish I had been there for this moments of the Bible. And when, I gotta be careful. When I say stories from the Bible, I don't mean that in the sense of stuff that's made up. I mean that in the sense of accounts of things that really happened with real people in a real place. And we have the privilege of hearing about it 2,000 years later or more, if it's the Old Testament. Uh, and it just would have been amazing to have been there in this moment. I would have liked to have been there in this moment having hindsight, knowing how it was all going to play out. That would have been much more enjoyable than having to experience it in real time like the disciples did. But we're looking at the story of Jesus literally by his words calming the storm uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And as we look at this passage, uh, we're going to study it in this way. Uh, I've said this many times and I just, I, I can't say it enough. The Bible is not a collection of random memory verses that were just kind of clumped together and made into books and then made into a Bible. The books of the Bible are inspired by God himself and they're amazing works of literature and theology. And one of the things that is so helpful when we study the Bible or when we come to God's word, it'll transform how you study it, is, is keeping our eyes out for things that are repeated. When things are repeated, be it a word or a phrase, that generally is not an accident, and very often it is pointing us to something important that the author wanted us to draw out of it. And so in these short seven verses, there is one small word that is repeated three times. It's very easy to miss it. It's very easy to overlook it, but I do not believe it was an accident. And we are going to use those three uses of this word to help frame how we're going to study this passage today. And it is the word great. It is the word great. Mark tells us about a great storm or great windstorm in the ESV. He tells us about a great calm and he tells us about a great fear. We're going to look at a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. So the first one is this, the great storm. So Jesus is teaching in a boat on the Sea of Galilee on the shore. He's probably in that boat for a number of reasons. A couple of them are this. One is, uh, we talked about this maybe last week or two weeks ago, uh, acoustically, it probably helped his voice carry more to this huge crowd that was on the shore that was there to hear him teaching. But almost certainly another reason that Jesus is teaching from a boat and not on the shore is because it gave him some space from the crowd. Mark doesn't emphasize it in chapter 4, which we're working through right now, but many of the other gospel writers do. When Jesus was teaching, it was chaos. Huge crowds would form because people heard what he was doing, heard what he was capable of, wanted to be healed themselves, wanted to touch his robe, wanted to be close to him, wanted to ask him their theological questions. And so virtually wherever he went, a crowd formed and it was chaos. And so likely part of the reason he has gotten into a boat to teach the crowd on the shore is because of the chaos that it would have been were he to try and do it in the middle of them standing on the shore. And the disciples are probably grateful because they're probably tired of playing referee like, please stay away please part the crowd, please let him through because it is always a bunch of chaos when a crowd forms around Jesus. And Jesus is teaching from the boat. 
And it gets to the end of the day and he finishes his teaching and the sun is going down and he says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. And they're probably like, that is great. Because this has been a zoo for several days. It has been chaos and we are ready for some rest. We are ready for a break. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So they set out on the Sea of Galilee. It's nighttime. Just picture it in your mind. A clear moon, calm sea, the moon reflecting off the sea, a cool breeze. They're all exhausted. Jesus is so exhausted, he conks out like before his head even hits the pillow. They're getting some rest. They're getting a respite. And then out of nowhere, a storm. To this day, the Sea of Galilee is famous for how violent the storms can be on it. And so seemingly out of nowhere, this calm, restful night turns into a hurricane. Lightning is flashing. Wind is whipping. Rain is coming sideways. Water is coming in over the boat. Verse 37 says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. The first great we're looking at is a great windstorm. And this word great in Greek, it's not anything special. It means literally just great. It means more, more than, larger, unusual, more than the average. It is a big time storm that these guys have found themselves in the middle of. And there are a lot of things that we can draw out of this. But here's what I want to point out this morning. The grass is not always greener. See, they went from chaos to chaos. They went from chaos on the shore to chaos in the boat. They went from a little storm on the shore with this huge crowd and all the, the, the chaos that, was, that comes with it. And they went right into another storm on the sea. They were probably like, I, we just need to get away from this. We just need to step out of this situation. We just need a little bit of rest. And we can do that by leaving. But when they left, what happened? They got into another mess. They got into another situation of chaos. They got into another storm. It is the proverbial out of the frying pan and into the fire. It is the jumping off of a burning ship into shark-infested waters. It is the uh, parachuting out, ejecting out of a plane that has been shot into enemy territory. It is leaving a job or a city or a spouse for another one and realizing when you get the new one, you still got problems. Life is full of great storms. Life is full of great storms. One minute you are escaping college, and the next minute, I just closed it up on the passage that I'm supposed to be preaching from. One minute you're escaping from college, and the next minute you're in the middle of a blizzard in Gary, Indiana. One minute you are in a job that you hate. Another minute you are being diagnosed with cancer. One minute you are trying to figure out how to raise a child. The next minute you are watching that child who has grown up self-destruct in front of your eyes. The last 18 months have been one great storm for virtually everyone in this room, everyone online, and everyone else in the world. Life is full of great storms. And kind of if we get nothing else out of this message, I hope that's what we get. We can't escape them. We can't buy our way out of them. We can't earn our way out of them. We can't achieve our way out of them. Wherever you go, whatever you do, there are going to be storms. And how do we normally respond? Well, I'm going to take us through a little progression. First is normally, why me? Right? Why me? Why does this have to happen to me? Second, if we have some kind of relationship with God, it's, it's what I did earlier. It's like, God, where are you? And as we're going to talk about in point number two, sometimes he doesn't answer. And so then, then we get to the place where we, we say, why me? Where are you, God? And then what do we do? 
Like, I got to get out of here. Whatever, whatever this storm is I'm going through, I, I need to remove myself. I got I to find a new situation. I got to find a new circumstance. For a lot of us here in the Bay, it's like, I got to get out of the Bay. This place is suffocating. It is crushing. I, I, I just, I got to go somewhere else. I got to get out of this job. It's, I, can't, I can't handle it. I can't handle my boss. I got to find a new job. I can't handle this relationship. I got to get, it's too, it's too hard. The storm is too great. I got to get out. But anyone who has done any life can, can testify this morning that just because you change your circumstances doesn't mean the storms stop. Amen. There are great storms regardless who we are where we live, where we work, how much we make, what our family was like. The truism of life is that we are going to go through great storms. Amen. Second grade that Mark talks about, he talks about a great calm. So here are the disciples in the boat with Jesus. The storm is raging. At least four of those guys were professional fishermen on this lake, this very sea. And so they knew it inside and out and they are freaking out. So we know that it is a big time storm. And what is happening? Jesus is asleep. He is, he in their moment of greatest need, he is nowhere to be found. Just see the, the lightning flashing, the rain coming sideways. They're using anything they hand, their hands, a bucket, whatever it is to bail water out of the boat. And, and to no avail, they're, they're sinking uncontrollably. And finally, they're able to get a hold of Jesus. And what do they say? I know it, but I just want to tell you the verse. Verse 38. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Anybody been there? God, I am dying here. Do you not know? Do you not see that I am perishing? Where are you? Verse 39. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Jesus gets up. We don't know how he did it. We don't know if he yelled it. Don't know if he spoke it softly. Don't know if it was said with anger or with kindness. But he speaks to the storm itself. And the storm who recognized the voice of the one who created it obeyed and immediately the storm ceased because God is the God who brings order out of chaos. Hear that this morning. Whatever chaos you are in the middle of, God is the God who brings order out of chaos. Maybe not in our timing, maybe not in the way we would like it to happen, but he is the God who brings order out of chaos. He brings a great calm. But here's what I want us to see about this. I do not believe that those three words that Jesus spoke in that boat in the middle of the storm were only for the storm. I believe that he was speaking to his disciples as well. I believe he was saying in the midst of this storm, here's what I need you to do. Peace. Be still. Stop thrashing. Stop flailing. Stop running around like chicken with your heads cut off. You know that scene in Home Alone where Kevin McAllister runs around the house yelling at everything? Ah! Jesus is saying, stop. Peace. Be still. In the middle of the storm, when you feel like you can't get a hold of me, there is only one thing you need to do. Be still. Um, I, my dad loves fishing. I grew up fishing with him. Uh, uh, 
a decent amount, never really caught the bug, though now in my adult years I'm kind of like, ah, I think I could get back into fishing. Um, for any of you who've been fishing or know what fishing is like or watch fishing on TV, if you watch fishing on TV, I have a lot of questions for you. Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's a little sunny or a huge swordfish, what happens when you get the fish to the boat or to the shore? It thrashes. It's got a hook in its mouth and it is being pulled in a direction it does not want to go and ultimately it is being pulled out of its natural habitat and it is flailing. It is thrashing. It is doing everything it can to keep you from getting to it. But if you're fishing catch and release, now it's a different story if you're fishing to eat. That, that's a different storm that that fish is in if you're fishing to eat. But if you're fishing for sport, for catch and release, what are you trying to do once you get that fish to you? You're trying to take that hook out of its mouth so you can put it back in the water. And if you could speak fish, what would you say to it? Peace. Be still. Stop flailing. Stop thrashing. I'm just going to take this hook out of your mouth and put you back where you want to be. And God is saying the same thing to us in the middle of our storm. He's saying, you may not be able to get a hold of me. You may not be getting the response from me that you want. But just be still. Stop flailing. Stop thrashing. Let me do what you cannot do for yourself. I may take you out of your circumstances. I may take you out of the job. I may take you out of the place. I may take you out of the relationship, not a marriage relationship. I may take you out of whatever it is that is causing the storm in your life, or I may not. But either way, what you need more than being removed from the storm is you need my presence. So peace, be still. I don't think we can read this story in Mark chapter 4 without thinking about Psalm 46.10, which says simply, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So I'm not even done with the sermon, but I'm going to answer the question that I posed up front. What do we do when it feels like God is silent? One thing he calls us to, peace, be still, wait on the Lord. Those words were not just for the storm. They were for the disciples as well. So there was a great storm. There was a great calm. And then finally, and this is pretty interesting, there was a great fear. There was a great fear. So let's look at that. As fast as it came up, the storm dies down. No, not, clearly not a coincidence. It's not like the, you know, the southerly wind blew in and sent the storm off and it just happened to be at the time that Jesus told it to be quiet. Clearly the storm obeyed the God who commanded it. Back to moonlit sky, glassy sea. And Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Does that not seem funny to you? Does that not seem out of order? Don't you think Jesus would have calmed the storm, saved their lives, and Mark would have told us that they felt a great gratitude or a great joy or a great thanksgiving or wonder or amazement or they broke into a rendition of we are the champions? None of that. It says they were filled with a great fear. That's not the way it should go. It, should, it shouldn't be a great storm, a great calm, and then a great fear. It should be a great storm, then a great fear, and then a great calm. 
Why does the great fear come last? Because when the disciples see what God is capable of, when they see his power, they realize that they were fearing the wrong thing. They were afraid of the wrong thing. They did not need to fear the storm. They needed to fear the God who commanded the storm. Their fear was misplaced. They were afraid of something small, and then they saw something really, really big. They were afraid of the wrong thing. If you were to find yourself uh, laying on your back with someone standing over you holding a knife, it is not actually the knife that you need to be afraid of. It is the person who is holding the knife. Because if you are lying on your back and someone is standing over you with a knife and they are a deranged psychopath, you could be in trouble. Forgive the morbid picture. But if you're laying on your back and the person standing over you is a skilled surgeon, he or she can use that knife to actually give you life. If you're laying on your back and the person standing over you is a five-star chef, I'm not sure why you're lying on your back in that moment, but <laughs> to each his own. He could use that knife to give you food, to feed you. It is not the knife that you have to fear. It is the one who has power over the knife. And the same is true in each one of our lives. It is not the storm that we need to fear. It is the one who has power over the storm that we need to fear. May we get our fear straight May we fear the right thing. If Jesus is in the boat with us, we don't need to fear the storm. If Jesus is with us, we don't need to be afraid of the storm. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If Jesus is in the boat, it's not the storm we need to fear, it's him. So the bully at school, you don't have to fear them because they don't have power over you. Your boss at work, you don't need to fear them because they don't have power over you. You don't need to fear your weaknesses, your insecurities, your failures because they do not have power over you. You don't need to fear cancer because it does not have power over you if, 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 if Jesus is in the boat. Now, if you're riding in a boat today and you're not sure if Jesus is in it, we need to clear that up. Because if he's not in the boat, then you need to fear the storm. But if Jesus is in the boat, you don't need to fear. The disciples were terrified because they still weren't sure who he was. We're not in that same position. We know who he is. And for those who have, who have bowed the knee, not only is he with us in the boat, he is inside of us. And his power is inside of us. And so whatever the storm is, whatever it is that you're sitting in, whatever it is that you're going through, that is not what you need to be afraid of. Because you have the one who commands the storm inside of you. There was a great storm. Then there was a great calm. And finally, there was a great fear. Uh, if I can just be very, or as, not very, as, if I can be kind of transparent with you this morning. Uh, I've been dreading preaching this sermon. Uh, there is, uh, this is the first time actually that I have preached the same passage twice 
And the last time I preached this passage, I dreaded that sermon as well. There is something about, there's something about this text, I guess, for me. Uh, I was listening to a sermon a few weeks ago by one of the great, uh, by a phenomenal preacher of the last, or the previous generation, a black preacher out of, from Texas named E.K. Bailey. It was one of the last sermons that he had ever preached. He was battling cancer at the time, a cancer that was ultimately going to take his life. And he preached uh, a sermon out of the Psalms titled, Facing an Uncertain Future. One of the things he talked about in that sermon was how often, as a preacher, God takes you through the thing that he has called you to preach on. And I I feel that frequently, but I felt it this week uh, in a way I haven't felt in a long time. Uh, This week, I felt like I was stuck in a 91 baby blue Chevy Cavalier outside Gary, Indiana, broken down in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, It was a hard week. And uh, as my family can tell you, I'm pretty good at feeling sorry for myself. So take that, you know, take that with a big, big, big grain of salt. Um, But I just, I lived this week what I'm preaching this morning. There is nobody in this sanctuary or listening online who needs to hear this message more than I do, and I'm the one who had to, had to preach it. Because I, this week, I'm just like, where are you, God? What is going on? What is, what is the deal? When I, when I decided to follow you with my life, I did not expect everything to get worse. I knew there'd be some challenges, obviously. I knew there'd be some frustration, but I didn't do this so it would get harder and more confusing and less clear and less certain. And I'm like, virtually in every way, that's how I feel. Like, I, I'm doing this for you, God. He, you owe me. But that's not how God works. That is not what he promises. And, and as I said at the beginning, uh, we are not going to preach from this pulpit that when you come to Jesus, you are going to find wealth, health, success, and happiness. You will find peace, joy, and eternal life. But... But it, but it doesn't make this journey through this life better, easier, or more comfortable. And we got a lot of people in here who can testify to that this morning. So I wish I could tell you, as we're wrapping this up, that I had a come to Jesus moment and um, everything is great and I figured it all out. I never had that moment, so I'm still working through it, just like a lot of us in this sanctuary are working through it today. But here's what I do know. There's a lot of things that are confusing. Here's what I do know. We talked about three greats this morning that Mark gave us in this passage, but there is another great, there is a fourth great that supersedes all of them, and that is the God that we serve. We serve a great God. Psalm 95 says this. You can clap, it's fine. Psalm 95, verse three. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth And the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. And the sheep of his hand. Yes, the sheep of his hand. The trooper came back. He came back. He called a tow truck for me. He sat with me in that blizzard for two hours, waiting for the tow truck to come, made sure I got to a hotel, and even called the hotel to make sure that I was all right after I got there. He did what he said he would do. And so it is with God. He does what he says he will do. I do not know 
what your storm is this morning. And if you're not in one now, it's coming. And if you're coming out of one, blessings on you. There'll be more. I don't know what it is this morning. But we have to know in our heads and push down to our hearts that he is the God who does what he says he will do. He will bring order out of your chaos in his time and in his way. The storms of life in the hands of God are like the scalpel of a surgeon. You know why it's been a hard week for me? Because I got a bunch of idols. I got a bunch of idols that God has to deal with. And it is through the storm that his gracious hand continues to smooth out the rough places in my life. The reason he hasn't given me the stuff I want is because I'm not ready for it. It's because I need to come to the place where I need him more than I need his stuff. He is a great God. The mountains are his and the seas are his. In the middle of your storm, his only call, his only command is peace. Be still. Stop thrashing. Stop flailing. Stop trying to do what you can't do anyway. Peace. Be still. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you keep it real with us and that you don't overpromise and underdeliver. In fact, you are the greatest salesman in the history of sales because all you ever do is underpromise and overdeliver. God, I pray for those of us today who are, who are walking through a storm, who are sitting in a storm, who are feeling this, this distinct feeling boil up inside of us. Just get me out of here. God, we know that sometimes you call us away, but sometimes you call us to sit in the storm and your promise is that you will be with us in it. I pray that we would feel that this morning. I pray that someone would be encouraged this morning, God. I pray that someone who isn't sure if you're in the boat with them will make the decision this morning to, in, to, to invite you to take control of the boat. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to head into our time of communion. Uh, you hopefully have the prepackaged elements. Communion is something that we do. It's something that God commanded in Scripture. When we take communion, we memorialize, we remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We remember that he died and shed his own blood that we might be reconciled to God. Enemies of God now made sons and daughters because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're going to take a, just a short moment and sit quietly to prepare our hearts for communion. And then I will lead us in taking it. Uh, I, some of you have already started. I would encourage you, uh, if you have the elements, to start getting them open because it can take a moment to get at the, uh, at the wafer. I also just want to remind us, uh, communion is something that we believe that God commands, is reserved for those who have made him Lord and King of their life. So if you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus today, uh, my invitation to you is to, to not partake in communion with us. But... There is no better day than today to make him the Lord of your life. So let's sit quietly for a moment and then I'll have a stand and we'll take the elements together.
Please stand. Please take the bread and hear these words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. lyrics for the church to sing. This is going to be a congregational song. This is not going to be me leading. Let's sing it. Thank you. 
If you're here today or you're watching online and you don't know what it means or you're not sure if Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, I or any one of our elders or ministry leaders would love to speak to you about that. Uh, there's a tent out there that I'll hang out at after service, uh, or you can email us if you're not here in person, info at alcf.net. Please receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved and you are prayed for and you are sent.